Hey, we're in um, part four of our uh, We See Miracles series this morning, and uh, throughout the series, we've kind of been looking at uh, miracles and seeing what we can learn about Jesus, what we can learn about uh, the character of Jesus, and what we can learn through some of the miracles that we find in the book of Mark. And we've seen uh, throughout the book of Mark uh, in the last three weeks that uh, it was written to the Roman Christians and by extension to the Gentile church. Uh, And also we saw how Mark has dedicated more of his account than any of the other gospel writers to Jesus' miracles. And so in parts one, two, and three, uh, we saw uh, a picture of Jesus, the teacher, and his cleansing power. We saw a picture of a compassionate Jesus who kind of reaches, who reaches down and moves uh, within our lives. And last Sunday in part three, when we had a look at uh, Jesus calming the storm, we saw a, a trustworthy uh, Savior uh, in a Jesus that we can trust in our storms because he has he, because he is with us and he is in us and he has an authority over all things. And so if you missed uh, any part of the series, uh, you can jump online uh, this week and check that out on the uh, church app, uh, which you saw up there, and also uh, on iTunes that is available. Uh, so head on uh, and, and catch up on those as we head into our last two weeks of uh, We See Miracles. Uh, We began uh, the series as a four-part series. Uh, We will be going to five uh, and finishing it off uh, next Sunday before we get Tom Hatch uh, coming in. Um, And so do uh, join us again uh, next Sunday. But let's pray as we come to the Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your Word. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your truth. We thank you, Father God, uh, that it is... uh, Father, a guide, Lord, and it is instruction, Father, that it's good for uh, correction, Father God, and for rebuke. And so, Father, we do pray again, Lord, that you would uh, just illuminate and enlighten your word into our lives. And this morning, I pray, Father, that you would use me for your purposes. Father God, that you would have your way in this place, that your message uh, will be speaked, and that every heart, Father, will hear uh, specifically from you and by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So one of the key focuses of Mark uh, is around Jesus as the suffering servant of God. And that's, uh, that's an aspect of Jesus that we're going to have a look at uh, next week as we look at what it means to be Christ-like disciples. But this morning we're going to be looking at Mark 8. And we're not uh, looking at one of the miracles uh, this morning, but we're going to be looking at a passage of which is considered a central, pivotal point in the book of Mark. And so to put the passage into context, chapter 8 uh, kind of starts off and, and it describes Jesus performing another miracle of feeding thousands. Uh, so we've had the feeding of the 5,000 and uh, Jesus stands feeding uh, 4,000 people in this chapter. It continues on. And shows how Jesus, uh, through the chapter, is speaking to his disciples. And he's reminding them about God's intent to provide for his followers. That's a cool God, right? He's teaching them about how God intends to provide for those who follow Jesus. And after healing uh, a man that was blind uh, in chapter 8, we come to this morning's passage, uh, which is found in Mark 8, verse 27 to 30. And you'll find it there in your notes this morning. And uh, very shortly, we're going to go through uh, that passage of Scripture verse by verse. Has everyone got 
a set of notes. Does anyone need notes? All right, we're good. Uh, But we see in this passage uh, Jesus accepting Peter's proclamation that he is the Messiah. And in true Mark fashion, as we've uh, discussed throughout the week, uh, throughout the weeks, uh, Mark doesn't go into as much detail of the account as Matthew and Luke do, where in Matthew, uh, Jesus affirms Mark by, uh, Jesus affirms Peter by saying that he's received uh, this revelation about uh, Jesus being the Messiah from heaven and not from man. But Mark 8, verse 27 to 30, uh, which is there in uh in your handouts, begins the second half of Mark's gospel, focusing on Jesus as Christ, focusing on Jesus as the Messiah. So up until this point, we've seen that Mark has kind of highlighted Jesus to show us uh, Jesus's power. He's highlighted the things that Jesus has been doing to show us Jesus's deity, that he is the son of God, to show us that Jesus has authority over Uh, all things, over physical healing, over mental healing, spiritual, and then last week we saw that he has authority over even nature. And so so in the second part of Mark, uh, we have this focus on Jesus as the Christ and the Messiah. So let's go through these verses uh, this morning as I share uh, some application keys for you to take away. Mark 8 verse 27. Jesus and his disciples went on to, a, to the village around Caesarea Philippi. Philippi, Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? So firstly, Mark's use of the words disciples uh, instead of the 12 kind of suggests that there are more people around than just the 12 disciples that we're used to hearing about. So Mark often referenced the 12 disciples in his writings as the 12. And so uh, we can kind of gather that Jesus has got a bit of a crowd with him as uh, they're going on their way. Here where it says that they're on their way suggests that they're in between destinations. That's pretty simple to understand. They're on their way from one place to another. And, um, And so Considering the text, uh, that phrase is more significant, and the implications of it is more significant than what we might often uh, consider. Think about this for a minute. Jesus and the disciples are on their way to Jerusalem, which is significant because they're growing and they're drawing nearer to the crucifixion as Jesus takes the time to teach them what they need to know and to teach them what he wants them to learn. There is a journey going on towards Jerusalem. And on that journey, Jesus is teaching them. And as they're on their journey, Jesus asks them, who do people say that I am? So we sit, uh, we kind of sit here today and we know from the New Testament that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's Old Testament promise of hope to Israel. So when we hear the question, who do people say that I am, uh, we kind of know because Scripture teaches us that. We know today that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God because we believe that this word is truth and it tells us that he is the Messiah and the Son of God. And in fact, this Gospel of Mark is all about sharing this revelation with 
the followers of Jesus, with those who are seeking him. And so with hindsight, we probably know more about Jesus reading these scriptures than the disciples did at the time that Jesus is asking them this question. Remember, they've just been on the boat saying, who is this? These guys are still in the process of working out and discovering who Jesus is. They didn't have the luxury of picking up a book that said Jesus is the Son of God and knowing that straight out in the, out, <clears throat> in the outset. And so Jesus is traveling with them and teaching them all they need to know about him, all they need to know about their calling, and all they need to know about their purpose as they go. And so our first lesson for this morning, if you're taking note, is that growing in Christ is a journey. Growing in Christ is a journey. The disciples didn't know everything they needed to know about Jesus when they were following him. When Jesus told them to leave and follow him so he'll make them fishers of men, really they had no idea what they were getting into. Jesus continued to teach them on the journey. Write this down if you have a pen on you. The revelations came as relationship with him grew. The revelations about who Jesus was, the revelation about who Jesus is as the Son of God came as their relationship with Jesus was growing, as their relationship with him was growing. And so my encouragement is this morning is not to let your relationship with God don't let your relationship with Jesus stop growing. You know, if you think you've learned everything you need to know about Christ, if you think you've learned everything you know about God, if you think there's no further that you can go in your relationship with the Father, with the Son, or even with the Holy Spirit, if you've managed to fit God into your three-pound brain, into that space, within our heads, then I think you're worshiping the wrong God. Because I believe God's far too big for me to ever fully comprehend. Until the day I stand in his presence, I don't believe I'll fully know how big our God is. I don't believe that I can fit him into my brain understand all his ways, or even fully understand him. And so I believe that we can all grow more in the knowledge and in our relationship with him. But growing in Christ is a journey. You know, it's one of the reasons why we do life groups. So that together we can grow to know him more so that together we can grow in our love for him, so that together we can grow to serve him more fully with purpose. You know, doing life uh, with other Christians uh, who will encourage you, uh, who will support you, and who, uh, this is the one we never like, who will keep you accountable 
to your Christian walk. Uh, doing life with other Christians who offer that is a great way to grow in Christ. So uh, consider joining a life group in the coming term and uh, keep moving forward in your journey. Oh, that'll be my daughter. She's all, she speaks loud. It's awesome. <clears throat> you know, every now and then I think that we should ask ourselves uh, this question that Jesus is asking his disciples. Who do I say Jesus is? And then following up with that, as we heard last week, the question, what am I doing with who I say Jesus is? And in doing that, we can keep a check in on how much we've grown. Amen? Does anyone else want to be growing in their relationship with God this morning? Verse 28 says, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Uh, because the Jews uh, don't believe in uh, reincarnation, we can take from that that they don't mean here that Jesus was literally one of the prophets. Uh, they mean that he came in the same uh, in the same power, in the same style. He, they mean, they're meaning that he came in the same authority, and he came with a similar message as all the other prophets that had come before him. And so this is why it's so important uh, that the revelation of Jesus as the Son of God was revealed to separate him from other prophets and from other men and women. You know, people thought Jesus was Elijah because Elijah uh, didn't die, uh, as we read in, in Old Testament scripture. He was taken to heaven by a chariot of fire. Man, imagine that for a picture. It says that he was walking with someone, and then this fire came, and it separated the two of them, and then all of a sudden, Elijah was gone with the chariot of fire. Imagine being the person who was left behind. That wouldn't have felt so good, eh? <clears throat> So Elijah was taken away, and so they thought that, that it was Elijah who was coming back, because it also said in Scripture in Malachi that before the Messiah, Elijah would return. And, and so it's, it was their assumption that Jesus was the prophet, Elijah returned before the Messiah. And so the people didn't recognize uh, that John the Baptist was actually Elijah. In Matthew, in Matthew 17, Jesus reveals that to his disciples. So he tells them that Elijah has already come. And then it says that the disciples realized he was talking about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was the Elijah that, that Malachi said would come before the Messiah. And before uh, Jesus was John the Baptist. And following him was Jesus the Messiah. Man, if you ever needed any more evidence of Jesus the Christ and the promised uh, hope for Israel, then it's all there in Scripture. And so we can see why people could have thought that Jesus uh, was one of the prophets. So often we can just look at these guys and go, what are you people, stupid? Uh, but in the context of what they were going through in their life, in the context of what they were taught, uh, in the context of what actually happened, uh, you can see why they could have thought that Jesus was a prophet. And again, remember, they were expecting a Messiah who was going to come and overrule Roman, the Roman Empire. Verse 29. It says, but what about you, he asked. This is Jesus asking the disciples. Who do you say I am? 
Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You know, in Luke's vision of this, uh, it says uh, that Peter said, you are the Christ of God. In Matthew's translation of it, uh, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so again, Mark, as he often does, he kind of condenses the passage or condenses the statement and in his account of it. But Peter's given the, the opportunity and he's given the honor of answering the very question that the disciples asked on the boat after Jesus calmed the sea. Remember last week that Jesus calmed the sea. He said to them, where is your faith? And the disciples said, who is this? As they were fearful of him. And so further along on their journey, Jesus asks them the same question. Who do you say I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah. You know, in Matthew's account of this passage, Jesus says to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And so our second point this morning is that God's word is the source of truth. <clears throat> Peter received the word from heaven that Jesus was the Messiah. You know, today the gospel, our Christianity, creation, morality, biblical truth, and I think most importantly, who Jesus is and the irrelevance to life is questioned by so many in society. Even some religions don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They believe that he was one of these prophets. And that is why this passage is so pivotal, because it lays out this revelation from God for all of us to see. You know, there's always going to be differing opinions about people. There's always going to be things that people say out there in society, out there in social media, and people have so much to say in social media. And then there's the truth. And I just wanted to remind us all this morning, as God's word is the source of truth, that the, the Bible is the inspired word, the inspired truth of God. Jesus is the living word. Is the living truth of who God is, giving us evidence of God's love, giving us evidence of God's nature. And so our relationship with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit is so important for us to continually maintain through devotion and through worship to God in order to receive truth and revelation from the Father and through the Word. Amen. Mark 8, verse 30. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. That's how it closes out this passage. So we've seen throughout Mark that Jesus tries to keep a short reign on his publicity and on his public ministry. Uh, he, he turns water into wine at the wedding out of respect for his mother. 
not because he wanted his public ministry to become known or to be known as the miraculous worker. He silenced these demons. We saw some of them in parts one through to three. He silenced these demons and tells them not to tell people who he is uh, because he doesn't want them to be the witness of his messiahship and of him as the son of God. And when his brothers push him to reveal who he is, he tells them that the time hasn't yet come. Even at the last moment, uh, before Jesus ascends into heaven, the disciples ask Jesus if it's time to restore the kingdom to Israel. And Jesus tells them in Acts 1, not yet. There is work to be done. And so our final point this morning is that Jesus is still at work through his disciples. Jesus is still at work through the church through you, through me, through all who follow him. You know, this issue of timing indicates why Jesus, uh, in a way, why Jesus didn't want the disciples to spread the news at the time he's asking them this question. It kind of shows us why, leading up to now, Jesus was instructing people, when he healed some people, he told them, don't go and tell anyone. When demons spoke out about him, and, and the first one we saw in the series actually called him the son of God, he told him to be quiet. And so it is in a way an indication of why Jesus didn't want that known at that time that he was the Christ or is the Christ. Before the disciples proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, they first needed to understand that Jesus hasn't come to save Israel from the Roman Empire the way that they expected the Messiah to save Israel. They needed to understand that Jesus had to be sacrificed to save the world from sin. That was his purpose for coming. You know, in the following verse, in verses 31 and 32, Jesus kind of proves that the disciples, they don't quite get that message yet. That Jesus came for a bigger calling than to save Israel from the Roman Empire. We see that when he rebukes Jesus for saying that he must be killed. He didn't get it. It was the price the Messiah had to pay. His sacrifice was the reason he was given to us. It's the reason he was given to the world. John 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The work of salvation is the reason Jesus built 
as church through as disciples. It's for this reason that our mission is to reach people with the gospel as a church. Continuing the work of Jesus, spreading the gospel, making disciples, leading people to him, that whoever believes in him shall have eternal life. It's the mission.